We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to Brooklyn Buzz. I'm Nick Faye. With me, as always, Jack Manuel. Jack, how are we doing? Not too bad, Nick. There's still somehow Nets news. Yeah, we got fresh Nets news. Seems like every day at this point. We got some good news, I guess, in terms of the Nets today. Before we jump into it, as always, you can find the Buzz on all streaming platforms. Jack, where do we start? We've got Jacques Vaughn announced today by Woj himself. He's going to withdraw his name from any head coach openings. And he's going to be staying in Brooklyn, citing family reasons. Nick, I I projected this. I predicted this a little bit, partly because I didn't predict the family reasons, but I did predict that possibly the difference between what he is earning as a lead assistant compared to what he would earn in New Orleans or Orlando or Washington or whatever wouldn't be that much discernible of a difference. And the desire to remain in Brooklyn, winning organization, good environment, be near the family. What are your thoughts on Jacques Vaughn sticking around at BK? Yeah, I think it's great for the Nets. You know, I think it's great for Steve Nash, a lot of players in the team. Honestly, great for Brooklyn Nets culture, somebody who's been around for a long time in Brooklyn. So I think that automatically helps. And like you said, Jack, you know, from a, a salary perspective, I don't think there would have been much difference. And then obviously the Nets, he has an opportunity to win a championship next season. Those other situations might not be ideal. You know, Vaughn obviously already had that struggle in Orlando the first time around. Not sure he'd want to go back there or want to deal with a situation that's not necessarily positive. So I think for him, it makes sense. Get some more experience, be part of a championship team, and then kind of pick and choose your opportunity down the line to something that you really, really want. Yeah, look, I think that New Orleans would be an incredible situation to to lead the four, but I think possibly David Griffin might be looking for a different direction there as you sort of chatted and to me about. a lot of pressure, to be honest. Yeah, no doubt, because I think that the the pressure to just build an immediate rapport with Zion and, and make that guy remain with, with the organization, you know, I, I think that... Sometimes, you know, life choices, are, I respect what Jacques Vaughn is doing here. And yep. I, I think that he'll be a head coach, uh, no doubt. And at some point in the future, we're seeing a lot of head openings go to uh, black men and stuff, which is uh, really, really good to see about time that um, some of these guys get opportunities and second opportunities for that matter, especially when you see guys like Jason Kidd getting one, two and three chances. <laughs> uh, but that's a discussion for another day. But 
Yeah, it looks like there's only probably going to have to be one opening with the assistant coaching route, Nick. We discussed some names. We might discuss a few names in the future because there was an article put out by Alex Schiffer of The Athletic. I think we'll give it a bit of time and see what happens with Mike D'Antoni. But I'm not sure if you heard the Hoop Collective podcast yesterday, Nick, and I heard Brian Windhorst say that Portland slash Damian Lillard didn't like Mike D'Antoni's interview as much as they did with Chauncey Bills because Mike D'Antoni's premise was, look, I got James Harden an MVP as a lead ball handler. I got Steve Nash an MVP as a lead ball handler. Dame, I can do that for you. Do you almost Are you almost happy that he, he tanked the interview, Nick, because it, it allows uh, MDA to stay in BK? Yeah, I mean, I guess to an extent it would be nice for him personally to get another head coaching job, but I think I'm happy that he's still in Brooklyn. And now, you know, Steve Nash has more experience, obviously, at his first full season, but he still has these two reliable sources and Jacques Vaughn and Mike D'Antoni. And we talked about the beginning of, you know, I don't really want to say the offseason, beginning of the playoffs, how it was a real possibility where the Nets could lose all these guys. And to come away with only losing one is huge. You know, M.A. Yudoka did a great job, but I think the Nets will hopefully be able to make up that loss probably with a new hire and also other guys just developing. I think it's easy to forget, you know, players develop, but coaches also take that next step as well. And I think you'll see growth from Steve Nash and possibly some of the other guys on staff. Yeah, Adam Harrington, Jordan Knott, these guys yep. that we've sort of spoken about in the past in Kenny Atkinson's tenure, those guys could take a step up and we could see, you know, a, de- a developmental hire. I know that LaMarcus Aldridge was a name that I saw uh, rumoured and, and him, him getting his name back into basketball. I'm sure that um, he, he he expressed a, a really a positive relationship with the Brooklyn Nets organisation. So we'll wait and see. That's a name that I've seen around the wings, but I'm sure there's plenty others that we'll probably dive deep more into. But I want to dive deep into the Sean Marks and Steve Nash precedent, Nick. We didn't really get the opportunity to do so in our last episode because uh, this one was a, a big one and there were some key takeaways from it. Now, we'll go through it one by one. The first part, and I'm sure the one that everyone wants to talk about, Nick, is the fact that the big three are extension eligible. We have Durant eligible for a four-year $192.5 million extension, Kyrie eligible for a four-year $181.6 million extension, and James Harden eligible for a three-year $161.1 million extension. Now, Sean Marks said this in relation to uh, those blokes and their extensions. It's probably too early to start discussing what their futures are. Obviously, we're committed to them. They play a big role in how we're going to continue to build this, how we're going to drive our culture and the identity of our team. I think that you see out there is that when they are he- they were healthy, they're a very elite unit, and I don't see any shortage of people wanting to come play with them, people wanting to play alongside them. Nick, just taking the short marks thing aside, do you think that these guys sign the extensions in the offseason? Do you think that they wait? Is there could be a, a salary cap spike with the, a new renegotiation of the salary cap? What are your thoughts on, on the big three's future in Brooklyn? Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if they signed the extension. I'm not sure it would be the full extension. You know what I mean? Typically, superstar players, especially Kevin Durant, James Harden, maybe look to maintain some of their leverage and sign maybe a one-year, two-year extension or some type of option on there. So I'm not really sure. I would think Sean Marks would obviously like to get that deal done, but they don't. he doesn't necessarily get to dictate what's going to happen there. I remember seeing some report from Shams, I want to say, talking about how it was a possibility of Sean Marks trying to get that done this summer. But like I said, doesn't guarantee it's going to happen. It seems like those guys want to be here and they want to play together, but I wouldn't be surprised. I'd put it probably 50-50 for this summer. What are you thinking, Jack? 
Yeah, um, I'm I'm probably with you, Nick, in terms of the. I think that they signed short term to give themselves the the maximum ability uh, to get as much money as they can, which all three of them do deserve. You know, as an athlete, you maximize that as much as you can. But then again, we also did see Anthony Davis, who probably could have done the same. You know, get the sort of ten years vet extension, which would have gotten him you know, a, a lot more money, but he decided to sign the dotted line for an extended term, probably you know, a little bit worrisome of, of his injury history, and also provide that financial stability. Um, I think that I remember Spencer Dinwiddie saying this comment once, I can't remember when it was, but he's sort of saying, you know, the difference between, you know, a vet minimum and, you know, a, a mid-level exception, you know, a nine, one to $10 million is massive, but the difference between like $10 million and $20 million doesn't mean a lot to me. Now, obviously, I still think that every dollar matters because I, I care more about the players getting their own than the owners and the, yep. the, the GMs and, and whoever because they're the guys that put their hearts and bodies on the line uh, for the organization. So I'm probably leaning more towards depending what happens with that salary cap, you know, there'll be a new TV deal at some point in the future to these guys, you know, Rich Kleiman and, and Kevin Durant and, and, and Rock Nation, all these guys probably know what's going on behind the scenes. But at the same time, you know, we did hear about Kevin Durant's desire to maintain a legacy in Brooklyn, even if those quotes weren't necessarily true. But I'm probably leaning more towards the route that I think that they will re-sign maybe in some form or fashion but I don't think it's going to be for an extended period at this early point. Yep. I, and I just found that report, Jack. I was searching through a lot to try to find it. Uh, Shams reported on June 26 that said expect big three extensions. So maybe it's a little bit more positive than what we initially thought. You know, maybe that's something that looks more likely. Jack, have you had to rank the three and the likelihood of who's going to sign their extension or sign the longer extension? How would you rank them right now? I'd probably go Kai number one, Katie number two, James Harden number three, just because the nature of each extension. I think Kai probably had it. it we sort of talked about, you know, Jacques Vaughn and his um, desire to stay in Brooklyn for family reasons. I think the same could be easily said of Kyrie Irving, you know, um, now uh, starting a family, his father, his sister, um, all all family ties are, are in Brooklyn, are in the, the New York uh, area. Whereas, you know, KD certainly has his ties, James Harden certainly has his ties, but those guys are, are a little bit more spread out in their allegiances. You know, we see Wanda, obviously, sitting courtside and, and everything and such, but um, I think James Harden, obviously, because he can only get a three-year extension, um, I yep. think is, you know, it, 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 I'm not sure of the salary cap ramifications of if, if he doesn't release on this year, can he get a four-year extension or whatever it might be. Um, we'll wait and see, but those are my top three and how I'd rank them. Nick, I'm not sure where you would be. Yeah, I'd be about the same, Jack. I think, like you said, Kyrie with the family. And then also, I think Kevin Durant uh, the, with the business stuff. Like, he just invested a ton of money in that, obviously. I think he likes the luxury of being able to go from practice to, you know, the studio. A baseball, yeah, baseball game kind of. I think he's enjoying the city life. It's something different for him. So I would anticipate him signing an extension. And like you said, with James Harden, I think even from a financial perspective, it just makes more sense for him to probably wait. Yeah, and, and I think that all these guys are much smarter than us. Their agents so much more than us. And ultimately, I think that they're going to be sticking around in Brooklyn. It's just going to yep. be what are the terms and when when the ex when does the extension occur? Because, you know, with the organization that you're currently at, you can maximize your earnings. And look, where are they going to go? I think that that's probably the, the other thing is, you know, is James Harden, does he have any greater opportunity to win a championship other than in Brooklyn? 
probably not unless he decides to go to LA in, in the Laker or Clipper land. I just think that it, it makes the most sense for all of them to stay in Brooklyn. It's just going to be a matter of when, not if. Yep. No, I agree, Jack. And I think maybe at times it could even look maybe like not, not going to happen. But I think ultimately, like you said, you know, as long as everyone stays healthy and they can c- continue to play like the way they did when they're on the court together. And obviously you expect that to kind of excel when they get more practice time. It hard, it'd be hard to see anybody leave unless it just kind of got with some of those like crazy storylines where someone's feeling like they're not wanted or something like that. But then I'd have to win a championship and do some stuff before that happens. It'd be nice, Nick. It'd be nice. But um, we'll get to Joe Harris, probably uh, a player that's gotten plenty of criticism, a lot of it warranted. Sean Marks said this, in terms of his future on the team, there's no really no comment on that. Joe's a Brooklyn net, and until otherwise, whether that's his decision or mine, we want to focus on that. We 100% support Joe and we'll be here for him. I expect Joe to bounce back and be the elite three-point shooter that he's shown for a long time. Not necessarily the most comforting of comments um, from the Kiwi native. Yeah, I mean, I think it was the politically correct thing to say. Like, he's not going to go out and be like, oh, yeah, Joe Harris is on the block. He's like, he's going to be a Brooklyn net, and until he's not, we're going to act like he is one. And I think, you know, he wasn't going to come out and be like, you know, Joe needs to play better in the playoffs. Obviously, he knows that. He talked about it. He addressed it in his own press conference. So, you know, I think that's kind of the expected response from Sean Marks, in my opinion, because I think he couldn't really come at it in any other way because there's also a, a possibility Joe Harris is traded this summer because he is the biggest trade chip on the team that's not a superstar. That is true. Uh, I, look, uh, sometimes I think you just go, maybe you go the, the full Danny Ainge route and you know, put put the, the blinkers on and sort of go, yeah, we want him 100% and, and you, you, have, you full support your guy and, and maybe blindside him a little bit. But I think we've seen and we did hear Karis Avert say that in relation to, you know, his the trading of him to, to Indiana and, and, and for, for James Harden, sort of the fact that Sean Marks was, was fully honest and transparent with him throughout the process. So I think that the players probably do appreciate that to an extent, even if, you know, the fans probably are like, oh, let's put, let's get the trade machine open. Yep. Um, and we might dive deep into a little bit into one that's been uh, brewing around lately uh, once we get through uh, these Sean Mars comments. But yeah, I, I don't know, Nick, where, where's your comfort level of, of Joe Harris being a Brooklyn Net? And I don't know, do you want him to be a Brooklyn Net? Yeah, I don't think I'm going into the offseason like Joe Harris needs to be traded. Like, I think you look at different avenues of possibilities and how you can improve the team and kind of understand where maybe you have more resources and you could probably afford to trade some offense maybe for some defense or maybe some more, you know, secondary playmaking or whatever it might be. But at the end of the day, Joe Harris was great, you know, majority of the season, great in the first round. It was really that second round he struggled now. Sean Marks knows, you know, the coaching staff knows, the other players on the team know, is this, you know, a thing that Joe just got in his head for that series? Or is this something that's not going to be able to be repaired or fixed down the line? And it's going to kind of be a reoccurring thing. That's where it gets tough. And if you think that's really the case, then maybe you trade him when his value is kind of hot. And maybe to one of these teams that aren't as concerned about making a deep playoff run and improve another area of the team. I think you just go into it very open minded. I wouldn't, you know, dictate what I'm doing before I do it. Yeah, a couple of years ago, we heard that Kenny Atkinson brought up and Sean Marsh brought up plan A, B, C, and D. I'm sure that there's yep. plenty of cards up Sean Marsh to sleeve in relation to Might Joe have two Harris. alphabets now. Yeah, <laughs> there's probably a Greek alphabet and there's probably a Lebanese alphabet. Who knows what's going on with Sean Marsh? He's got, uh, he's a very, very smart man, even if he did only finish in third in the executive of the year, as you alluded to <laughs> in the last pod, Nick. But yeah, in terms of Joe Harris, Nick, I, I don't know. I think that I, I was certainly underwhelmed by his performance yep. this postseason to say the least and the fact that it has happened 
twice now in his career in the biggest moments, you know, Philadelphia a couple of years ago and now uh, against the Milwaukee Bucks. And it's not to say that uh, it, it's just, I, I think that it's probably a worrying trend because of the, the nature of when those slumps do happen. Yeah. He, he sort of said, you know, before game seven, I think it was sort of saying, yeah, I've had some slumps before, but you know, I'll get out of it. But this, those, the nature of this slump was the most prolonged and worst of his career, and it happened at the most inopportune time. And I think that's probably the most worrying thing from a, a Nets fan perspective, and why I think that there there'll probably be more calls taken on Joe Harris. And I think that there will be plenty of teams that do want him, and if he does want to come back. Well then, boy oh boy, he's going to have to really endear himself to the fans and, and to a lot of play- and maybe not necessarily the players because we heard James Harden sort of say, you know, he's the best shooter, keep shooting. But he's going to just have to really put up and shut up. It's sort of like in a way that, you know, Giannis and the Bucks. It's like we don't really care about the regular season, Joe. What are you going to do for us when it really doesn't matter? Because you know the Nets will be making the playoffs if they're fit and healthy, and if Joe Harris is still there, hit some goddamn shots, my dude. Now, don't give away 18 fouls to to Chris Middleton. So uh, it's going to be a, a massive 2021-2022 uh, for Joe Harris. Well, we'll see how it all pans out. Yeah, I think that's a great point, Jack. Because I think you look at it too is like all right, you know, you go to the finals and then all of a sudden this type of slump happens in the finals and it costs you a championship. Is that something that you feel comfortable with or would you rather have a player that maybe doesn't have the same level of peaks of Joe Harris offensively but is more consistent and maybe a little bit more well-rounded in terms of the defense and doing some other things if his shot's not going down? And obviously, you know, Joe can do more than just shoot threes, but in the postseason, your strengths are really your strengths and then your weaknesses and whatever you're kind of mediocre at stick out a little bit more. So I'm intrigued by it. And I also think you have to think about the idea of, okay, we go to the playoffs next year. Joe Harris plays like trash again. Are we losing leverage in the situation? We want to make sure that we have leverage when we make trade. So that's why I think you might be a little bit more, you know, rushed to make the trade this off season or even at the deadline. Might as well get to it, Nick. We'll get back to, to some of the uh, key takeaways from Sean Marks Expressive. But the massive trade, the one that's making the rounds most on Twitter and all other social media platforms, is Joe Harris and Miles Turner. We'd love to have K-Wall Hoops of, of full access paces discusses. We might get him on a Brooklyn Buzz in the future to discuss some of those things. And also Karis Avert. But what are your thoughts on, on those trade machine proposals being put out into the ether? I mean, I think it's something you look at, obviously, you know, Miles Turner, you know, is a great defensive center offensively can be a little bit inconsistent rebounding wise. He can be a little bit inconsistent, hasn't always been amazing in the postseason. So are you sure this is the guy that you want to trade for? That's going to be like that sure piece, because I think what the Nets are looking for, they're looking for if they trade Joe Harris, like that's a solidified starter, you know, somebody who's going to be in that closing lineup or is going to play big minutes and they can count on. Miles Turner could be that guy, but also there's been plenty of stretches in Indiana, which we've talked about with Corey, is he gets benched. He doesn't have an impact. You don't really feel him out there. He's not very aggressive, can kind of be a little timid at times. So it's definitely something to consider. I'm not sure where I sit exactly on the trade. I'd probably have to think about it a little bit more, maybe pick Corey's brain. What are you thinking, Jack? Yeah, I mean, just in the, the current spate of things, it makes a lot of sense given where the Nets' weaknesses do lie in terms of their rim protection, in terms of their... Uh, just having a, a center out there, you know, so Kevin Durant doesn't have to play 45 minutes, you know, guarding Brook Lopez in the post. But in saying that, he's probably a better post player than Miles Turner is because Miles Turner's strengths do lie as sort of a roaming defender, a rim protector. Um, he's a, a great individual defender, not necessarily a great isolation defender. And if you're going up against Joel Embiid, Nikola Jokic, Anthony Davis, these sort of dudes, I'm not necessarily totally confident 
in the prowess of, of Miles Turner, but in every other defensive acumen, he is a goddamn star and has been unlucky to not make all defensive teams, uh, as, as Corey has also put out there on Twitter as well. So I think it makes sense. But, you know, if you can get something better, then maybe. But also, does it provide you and it, does it leave you with holes in the same way that Joe Harris does, you know? I, I think Miles Turner is a, a really poor rebounder. You know, for a, yeah. a, at the position where the Nets need that gang rebounding, I would say that Nicholas Clarkson's almost a better rebounder than Miles Turner. I can't remember many uh, occasions in, in his career where he's gotten double doubles on. Uh, whereas you know, you look at Jared Allen and such. So there's there's different uh, differing viewpoints where you can look at it and sort of go glass half full, glass half empty. Uh, but I think it would make some sense. But I do think right now. Miles Turner is a better player than Joe Harris, so maybe the Nets would have to throw in a first or so. They've got a couple of seconds this year as well, um, but we'll wait and see how that does pan out. But I think that you know, and they've also do have Doug McDermott, and whether he decides to leave in the off season, uh, Joe Harris is a pretty ready re- ready made replacement uh, for Dougie McBucket. So it's interesting. I think it would benefit both sides. Yeah, it definitely is interesting. I think Joe would be a great fit for them, get their three-point shooting up a little bit more. Obviously, that's a relationship with Karis Averton, like you mentioned. The rim protection of Miles Turner would be huge. This is the guy that's averaged like close to three blocks. And the real concern for me, though, would probably be, like you mentioned, the one-on-one defense with Embiid and some of these other players. But I think there's also maybe slight room for improvement for Miles Turner, just being in a different situation, always being in Indiana. I think that kind of would maybe give him a spark playing with some other elite players and Kevin Durant, Kyrie. I also think maybe James Harden would help kind of get a little bit more out of him in that pick and roll action. He's not necessarily the most aggressive attack in the rim, but Harden kind of makes it as easy as possible. You know, Turner does have a solid three-point shot. I think it's just, you know, it's a deal that you look at, you put on the table. It's something to definitely consider out there. Just I think the real question comes is, are you confident you're going to be consistently closing with Miles Turner on a nightly basis? You know what I mean? I think that's that's the real question because I think going to the season, the Nets thought Joe Harris was going to be a guy they can consistently close with, and he still possibly could be if he doesn't have that type of slump in which he had against the Bucks. But I think that's what you're really trying to do. In my opinion, if I'm going to this offseason, I'm trying to solidify my closing spots. I have three locked up. I just need two guys that I can count on or at least – two out of three guys that I can count on where I, maybe I can rotate through some of them, just like some options. And I think that's where the Nets are kind of missing right now. Look, and uh, in saying that, you know, Miles Turner is also a decent three-point shooter, 35.2% yep. uh, for career, even though he, he did drop a little bit this season. You know, his career rebounding number 6.6, you know, the most he's had in a season uh, is 7.3 in his sophomore year. Not necessarily the best numbers, but like you mentioned, Nick, could he be that, you know, uh, closing five? I, You know, if you've got Jeff Green out there, there's probably some occasions where you'd rather have Jeff Green if he is back, which we'll get to in a little bit. So uh, uh, ultimately, you know, Sean Marks and, and the guys behind the scenes know much more about what will benefit this team. They've got all the fancy analytics and such, but well, we've got about our dumb eyes. So at the end of the and day... They have, and they have eyes on Nick Claxton. They have a better idea of what's going to happen with him. And I think that's a possibility of, obviously, I don't think he's going to develop the three-point shot like Miles Turner overnight, but he can definitely give you some of those other avenues, you know, a switchable defender, give you some rim protection, obviously needs to stock up a little bit. And like you mentioned, Jack, gives you a better rebounder. So you kind of have to, you know, weigh the pros and the cons and also the rest of your roster fit and maybe who you're bringing back and where those minutes allocated. You know, does it help more to maybe get a, a, a true four or something like that? So. Yeah, I think it's a good point there because we sort of hear the different round of thinking of, of how you sort of allocate your money and, and time and resources to that center position. Right now, the, net, the Nets do have Nicholas Claxton. They've got DeAndre Jordan, who 
look, if he's off the books, then we probably need another one. But, you know, you could probably get some vet minimum guys, some Dwayne Dedmans and whatever. We'll probably dive yeah. deep into the positions a bit more on the offseason. But would you rather have that money allocated towards a position of need? Um, in term, obviously, a position of need is the center position. But how much value does that position provide you when we saw the Nets go up against the Bucks um, and almost not even need a center? You know, yep. we saw... Clax not even get into the rotation in the last couple of games. And it was KD, it was Jeff Green, it was Bruce Brown playing at 6'3 yep. center. So it, it'll be fascinating to see because I think even Bruce Brown and his future with the Brooklyn Nets could affect how they sort of see, you know, adding a center to this rotation. And uh, it, there's there's a lot of moving parts uh, to the Brooklyn Nets uh, free agency and, and, and what the roster will be heading into next season. A lot of dominoes, like you said, Jack. You know, one guy leaves, it opens up a position, or one guy comes back, and then maybe that's a, not as big of need. So I think I'd probably be looking at, like, a perimeter player. I think you'd be probably looking at Jeff Green leaving and maybe someone to kind of fill, fill that role as a possibility. But like you said, we're going to dive deep into that in the offseason. Still got a couple topics to discuss today. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, and we haven't even gotten to all of the ones on Sean Marks. And I think the segue nicely from Jeff Green and his, his possible departure into, I guess, the, the free agency decisions of Blake Griffin, Bruce Brown, and Jeff Green. Sean Marks said this, whether they spend a month here or whether they spend years here, it's always about giving the players everything they possibly can in order to have success on and off the court. Their families had an enjoyable, enjoyable experience and look back on their time and say, wow, what a time I had in Brooklyn, what an opportunity I developed, I grew, and such forth. Nick, in terms of these three guys, you asked me to rank a little bit earlier, I'll ask you to rank these three dudes and the likelihood that they return in a Brooklyn Nets uniform. Yeah, I got Blake Griffin number one, Bruce Brown number two, and Jeff Green number three. I think Blake what? is getting so much money from Detroit. What does he care? Because it's. I think it just kind of, he, I think he's still getting $28 million from Detroit for next year. So he'll take a vet man. He's, he's made plenty of money off commercials. He's doing his comedy thing. He's been in TV shows. Bruce Brown, obviously, possibility of being a restricted free agent. So the Nets have the offer to match. Now, Jeff Green, unrestricted free agent, does obviously have relationships with guys on the team, but has mentioned he wants to get paid. And the Nets will have to decide if they want to use their taxpayer mid-level exception on Jeff Green, use it on a possible another target. That's going to really be where it's at. Or somebody might offer Jeff Green more than a taxpayer mid-level exception. Then the Nets are kind of just, you know, out of luck. They're, he, he, he deserves a bag. Like, you know what I mean? He's earned it. He's taken a ton of vet minimum contracts. That's why I think Jeff Green is the least likely to come back. But what are you thinking, Jack? 
See, I don't know how big the bag is, though, Nick, in, in saying that, because I, I do agree that Jeff Green deserves, you know, certainly a, a little bit of extra cash, but maybe one of those small suitcases where you take on a couple of day trips, but not necessarily ones where you, you might go overseas and go for a couple of weeks, because the last big contract that I believe Jeff Green got was like one, I, I think a $10 million deal over one season. Now, mm-hmm. if he thinks he's going to be getting that again, I, I, I don't think that that's going to be the case, but there'll probably be a lot of sort of, it'll be similar teams to what where the Nets are at, where they do they prioritize Jeff Green's services and what he can provide their team more than the Brooklyn Nets do. The taxpayer MLA, you know, four-ish million dollars um, is something that I think is probably a, a fair return for Jeff Green, given where his age is at. And, you know, is he going to produce the same level of basketball next season? Look, I'm not saying that he can't, but I, I think it's less likely. The it was older a career you, year efficiency-wise. <laughs> exactly. And the older that you do get, you know, the, the less likely that is to happen, especially of a guy who's in his mid, mid-30s. So, look, I, I want Jeff Green to say probably more than any of these three in, in a lot of respects. You know, his level of consistency, availability, production, um, all the things that we sort of wanted from, like, Joe Harris, we got out of Jeff Green yep. from the regular season and the postseason. So, Look, I've got fingers and toes crossed, and obviously the relationships with James Harden, obviously the relationship with Kevin Durant. Um, I think that at the end of it all, what is the difference? I sort of maybe half back to the Spencer Dinwiddie quote that I was sort of talking about. What is the difference between, you know, uh, $4 million and $7 million at the end of the day? We just need KD to give him his own show on Boardroom. Yeah, just mm-hmm. did, I'm sure there's some backroom things like Andre Kirilenko and in, in seasons <laughs> past. Uh, maybe, you know, obviously Mikhail Prokhorov isn't here anymore, but Joe Sy's got some Ali Barber things going on behind the scenes. I'm sure he can do something for Jeff as well. But yeah, I think Blake Griffin, it seems pretty likely, Nick. It seems to me that he was pretty goddamn enthused about, you know, what he was producing in Brooklyn and the way that they did use him as well. You know, I think that what we could get out of him next season could be even better because yep. as a, as a uh, given an off season to, to recover, to, you know, get his body, you know, uh, in, in top tip, tip top shape. Um, I think it's going to be a, a pretty good season if he does return. And Bruce Brown, Nick, you know, I, I think that his skill set is best utilized in a Brooklyn you know, you look like a Terrence Mann in, in, in Clipperland and you look at the sort of what he can provide other teams. You know, I don't think that he, I think there'll be teams that'll be like, oh, maybe we could try that um, if we got Bruce into into our organization. But I don't think the market is going to be as as wide as it might be for a Jeff Green, who I think has a bit more versatility um, in what he can provide to. Even like, you know, vet leadership behind the scenes yep. to, to a young and up and coming team, whether that's like a, a Pelicans or an Orlando or whatever. Maybe they see some value there, or, or maybe he heads back to Boston. Uh, and Ima Yudoka is, is on the phone. So I think that Blake Griffin seems to be the most likely. I agree with you there, Nick. Bruce Brown probably second as well, and Jeff Green. Look, I'm hoping that he stays, but I also wouldn't uh, besmirch him in any respect if he wanted to get a little bit of extra cash and decide to head out of Brooklyn. But, you know, if it's if it's Jeff Green leaving, um, then it is going to leave a big hole in the Nets roster. Yeah, for sure. I think there's opportunities for different guys to step up and play maybe a little bit differently depending on health next year. And I also think some of it with Jeff Green kind of comes down to a decision because we know guys are going to be willing to take discounts to play in Brooklyn and the Nets are going to have that taxpayer mid-level exception. They're only going to have one of them. So it's going to, it could be a situation where they either use it on Jeff green, or maybe they're getting somebody else willing to take a pay cut. That's possibly a better player. Obviously we got to take a deeper dive into the free agent list to see if that would be something that could pop up. But I agree, Jack, you know, it would be great if Jeff green could come back, but I wouldn't be surprised if someone even offered him 
a, a solid one-year deal, just something for him to kind of get, you know, more money and then kind of go back to the the smaller deals after that. But it's really hard to predict. I think uh, there's a lot of questions in terms of the entire NBA market, just not the Nets free agents. Yeah, and we did hear Sean Mark say, you know, that the, the roster is going to look different. And yeah. I think a lot of people are like, oh, my God, there, there's your quote, there's your clickbait, put, put it on Bleacher Report, put it on wherever else you want to aggregate. But I think that it... <laughs> Everything it's just, changes. It's the, the nature of the NBA. You know, the, the vet minimum slots, you know, you'll get you a couple of ring chases here or there who, who want to head to Brooklyn. And there's some guys out in the market. There's probably guys that we don't even know behind the scenes that, you know, maybe it's Kevin Love and, and Team USA decided to get a buyout. And um, obviously, you know, maybe he revives his career in a, in a Blake Griffin sense. But um, that's a discussion for another day. But a discussion I did want to have, Nick, is uh, let's get to some Kevin Durant stuff. Now, we didn't get a chance to discuss Scotty Pippen, who seems to be uh, drinking too much of that whiskey that he's promoting, uh, given everything Oof. that he's been saying lately. Some that I do agree with, but they're in relation to Kevin Durant, are probably the most outlandish comments. Uh, Nick, and I'll, I'll boil it down to this. He sort of said that he still has some learning to do in relation to Kevin Durant and uh, to his exit from the players with the Brooklyn Nets. Nick, does Kevin Durant have some learning to do? No, he does not. I think he knows how to win at every single level. He's proven that. He's proven to be able to play all different roles on teams and then carry a team that's decimated by injuries. Like, I just can't stand, and obviously this is not what we're talking about, but this has just been driving me nuts, continuing people talking about the Nets, like, failing and not living up to the hype. Like, you know, they were severely injured. Like, James Harden was 50%. Kyrie was out. Jeff Green had a bum foot. Spencer Dinwiddie was out for the season, and you're talking about this team losing and trying to blame Kevin Durant. I think it's like the most ludicrous thing ever. Like this dude played a million minutes, put the team on his back for multiple games, was the team's best defender throughout the entire series, and we're complaining about him saying he doesn't know how to win. Yeah, and I think that's you can make this argument for some other players, possibly. Probably actually not in, in this post. I think we're seeing a, a lot of great guys sort of get, get their teams on their backs in, in a lot of different respects. You know, there hasn't been necessarily you know, ball hogging and, and any of that sort of respect. And Kevin, to put that at Kevin Durant, who had a trip of like a 49-point triple-double. Like, it, just look at the box score. You don't even have to look beyond the box score, Scotty. Again, the, the whiskey probably tastes nice, my dude. But at the end of the day, you've got to watch some basketball as well before making some dumb comments. You know, he was also making dumb comments about LeBron James winning a title by himself, despite the fact that you know, Kyrie Irving was a cl- was, hit the shot that won them the championship at the same time. So And received you know, finals MVP votes in that series. I don't, so, know, like- what's, I don't know what's going on, Nick. But uh, I, I think that Kevin Durant's responses were absolutely masterful. One more um, note before we get into those, Jack. Just also, like, if you're just looking at the box score too, like KD could have easily had a triple double in game seven if the Nets could actually hit some shots. So I don't know, like you actually have to watch the basketball before you give a critique on it instead of just looking at headlines and box scores. Yeah, uh, look, uh, he's probably just salty that Kevin Durant is one of the best players to ever play the game and probably overtaken his own legacy uh, yep. given what he showed uh, in, in this postseason. Uh, but I did uh, like this one. I always like just the, the responses from KD in any respect, whether it's on Scottie Pippen or whether it's on me uh, posting some meme videos. <laughs> but uh, in, in saying that, he said, didn't the great Scottie Pippen refuse to go in the game for the last second shot because he was in his feeling his coach dropped to play for a better shooter? What makes this even greater, Nick, is that Kevin Durant was seen in the offseason wearing a Tony Kukoc jersey. Oh, yeah, yeah, when he was rehabbing. Yeah. And when he was rehabbing, and I'm just like, oh, it just it just makes so much sense. It, it's beautiful. Uh, Kevin Durant always running on Twitter. 
Yeah, I mean, 100%. He didn't lie. It was a fact. We saw it all in the last dance. And obviously, Scotty really doesn't have much to say because that's a real event that occurred. And also, what also occurred, Nick, was this. This guy, Scott, also wanted to enjoy his summer, so he chose to rehab during the season. Lol, yo, at Scotty Pippen, caps lock. They followed Phil, not you. Look, I've got some issues with Phil Jackson, but I do have plenty of issues with Scotty Pippen and choosing to rehab. And if you're looking for a guy who took the consummate route of rehabilitation from his injury, you look no further than Kevin Durant. Because yep. if you are looking for a person who can go from, you know, possibly see his oh, well, is he going to be, you know, a, a, a Dirk Nowitzki light? Is he going to be even in the top 10 of players in the NBA? Well, no, he attacks his rehab in the offseason, even though there was an opportunity for him to head back into the bubble, which I'm sure he probably was thinking about many times and his desire to get back onto the court. But he did the the correct thing, continue to rehab in the offseason, continue to do all the right things that tick all the X's and O's. And I, I guess it's sort of, you know, you're attacking Kevin Durant's character a little bit. And, yeah. and I think when you attack Kevin Durant's basketball character as well, I think that's when he rightfully so gets salty because, you know, Scottie Pippen just needs to, to look in the mirror. Um, and, and Kevin Durant put it pretty plain to see because of the, the occurrences that have happened in his career sort of show that, like, you know, my dude, you're calling out me for being, you know, quote-unquote selfish, still have some learning to do, when look what you've done throughout your career and, you know, the amount of self-reflection that needs to happen, my guy. I think Kevin Durant is is amazing at that. I think he is a, a constant self-reflector. He's very aware of his own circumstances. You know, we heard plenty of times this regular season sort of Kevin Durant say, you know what, should have made some shots there. Took some bad shots. Should have attacked the rack a little bit more. And that's something that I don't think a, a lot of players in his position actually have the capabilities of doing. Admitting fault. Admitting and going, yeah. you know what? It was on me there. Uh, and I, that's who, those are the players that I respect the most. I think that Paul George is doing that a little bit more and, and a lot of other guys who actually take responsibility, take ownership, show a little bit of leadership. Those are the guys that I want to be right behind if I'm a, yep. a fan or a player and, and, and that's the leader of my team. Uh, we're lucky to have Kevin Durant and he has some learn to do. Uh, Scotty Pippen, mate. Uh, you've got to get back to the books and watch a little bit of tape, my guy. I think Scotty Pippen is actually about to sell a book. So that's that would explain a lot of his behavior. So obviously, yeah. you know, Katie's going to give you a response. You're going to say something about Phil Jackson, even if you believe it or you don't believe it. And now all of a sudden you're going to get a ton of clout. Scotty Pittman's been talked about all week and he probably hasn't been talked about since the last dance. So he's doing what he's trying to do. Chase the clout. Um, I don't agree with it, but <laughs> it is what it is. That's what it looks like to me. Yeah. Look, and if he sells some books, then then good stuff. But Nick, I called. Yeah, I mean, I, he's got to pay for his wife and whatever she's doing. So, oh, yeah. shout out to Laza and um, who, who's the bloke from um, Malik Beasley, and then Malik you got Beasley, Future, you know, Future, Mask Off, indeed, Mask Off, indeed. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Nick, we'll get to news somewhat relating to me because Kevin Durant responded to an article on the NBA Central that had an embedded tweet from me. That had a quote from Jack McMullen that was on Bill Simmons' podcast. When someone quote tweeted me saying that, I was just like, that's actually pretty hilarious. And I guess the nature you of made the, it. I, I'm, <laughs> I've made it. Oh, you always are. Uh, uh, a second time where Kevin Durant may have indirectly cross paths. Yeah. Nick, in saying that, we did hear Kevin Durant respond to the quote that I, I, I put out there from Bill Simmons' podcast where Jack McMullen was saying that. I genuinely believe that he wants to create a legacy uh, in Brooklyn. A genuine goal is to win three championships. 
Kevin Durant's response wasn't necessarily probably the most warm um, for what Brooklyn Nets fans would have wanted. He said this, once again, I don't even talk like this. Plus, I don't have a relationship with Jackie for us to have in-depth conversations about my intentions as a basketball player. I get she plays an opinion-based sport, but she framed this like we are friends. We are not. <laughs> That's so savage. The we are not at the end, it wasn't necessary, but he just added it on just to be like, you know, Jackie, uh, you called my brother and my teammate, you know, calling him out for saying that he's basically the property of uh, the Boston Celtics ownership. Um, yeah, I'm going to just dunk on you uh, like, you know, Jeff Green did game after game after game. Yeah, and I think it also, I think he's just getting aggravated because what it was the same thing with Jay Williams and the whole Giannis situation where these people are trying to speak on his behalf. And I think it's extremely frustrating. And it, she did frame it like she had some like heart to heart conversation with Kevin Durant and he let her know that he, this was like his intentions of being in Brooklyn. So I agree. I think the framing on her behalf was a little strange if she really never had this combo with Kevin Durant. And I like the fact he called her out because I think athletes should call out journalists when they're just talking a whole bunch of BS because when they don't, then the story just continues to grow and grow. Not to say that this would have been a big deal. It's not like it was something negative, but again, don't speak for me. Yeah, I think the it's the nature of the beast right now. And, and Katie sort of called it out himself. That, that seems to be overtaking what is, I guess, you know, hard-hitting journalism. It's, you know, it's hit pieces. It's, you know, quotes yeah. from sources that aren't necessarily verified. Now, is there some legitimacy to what Jackie McMullen said? Do we think that Kevin Durant could want to um, maintain and, and leave a legacy in Brooklyn? Nick, can, can you at least make me feel somewhat enthused? Maybe he wants four instead of three. <laughs> I mean, I think that's more likely if she had just said the legacy thing and winning multiple championships, he might not have even said anything. But the way that she like set three and like made it seem it was like specific details. I think, you know, that is what kind of turned Kevin Durant off. I think obviously he wants to have a legacy in Brooklyn. I believe he was on one of his own shows with a uh, rich uh, Rich Kleiman talking about, you know, building a culture in Brooklyn and then being contenders next year and things like that. And I don't think you talk like that if you don't have the intentions of staying for some time. And I think also like the big picture look at it was like Katie wants to be in Brooklyn to just play basketball and chill and do his thing and win championships and just focus on the sport. So everything that he's doing on the court, off the court is kind of lining up with that. I'm not really concerned about, you know, news narratives. Yeah, I think that's reading, you know, probably things that Kevin Durant doesn't respond to and, and words from his own mouth, you know, the, his reasons to choose Brooklyn, you know, the organization has been realigned into Kevin Durant's favor. You know, yep. Kevin Durant, this is Kevin Durant's organization now. You know, there were, there were parts and periods where it was being aligned to, to Kyrie Irving. And, you know, that's what the, the good franchises do. They align themselves to their superstars and they involve themselves in the decision-making and everything. You know, the LaMarcus Aldridge signing, the James Harden trade, all these Blake things. Griffin. The Blake Griffin signing were all to acclimate Kevin Durant. All of them were like, yeah, KD gave me a text. Yeah, KD gave me a text. Um, you know, Sean Marks wouldn't have done this if if KD was like, you know, come on, man, like this is going to get us right over the top, and you know, a allow Kevin Durant to leave a legacy in Brooklyn. You know, you've got the best player on your team uh, in the league in on your team, and then you've got a, a a generally you're in with a shot. You know, you need a little bit of luck along the way, which the Nets unfortunately didn't have, but you put yourself in the conversation for those chips, for those prolonged success, uh, at least in the short term. Um, but at the end of the day, I think Kevin Durant is enjoying being a Brooklyn Net. And I think he's enjoying that even more so now that he's had the chance 
to get out there, show what he can do as a, as a basketballer. We know what he could do. Um, no, none of us doubted him um, that had any sort of sense of, uh, of rationality to it. But I think now he's just like, okay, I've shown what I can do now. Now let's get to the nitty gritty of it. Now I'm coming back and you know I'm enjoying what, what's going on in the offseason. I'll head to a Mets game. I'll head to a Yankees game. I'll say the James Rodriguez of former Everton fame. Um, he'll, he'll. I think that he is going to be a, a Brooklyn Net for maybe the rest of his career, Nick. I think he might end his career uh, with the black and white. Yeah, I mean, he mentioned, I think, last offseason on a podcast or something as a possibility as of right now. I think also you brought up a great point, Jack. This is Kevin Durant's team, and this is the first time in his career it's his team. You know, when he was in OKC, it was Russell Westbrook and Kevin Durant. When he's in Golden State, that was Steph's team. Now in Brooklyn, during the season at points, some people might have said James Harden's team. But right now, after we watched the postseason and saw what Kevin Durant could do, this is KD's team. And like you you mentioned, all the organizational moves that he supported and they made. I think you'll see more fingerprints from KD on this, you know, on this team moving forward. Definitely, could not could not agree more. But uh, a guy who probably won't be a Brooklyn Net and uh, is Spencer Dimney, who has obviously declined his player option. And Christian Winfield of the New York Daily News uh, wrote th- that he wants to either the bag or he wants to go home as the preferred donation. The home being obviously uh, Los Angeles, but he wants to secure his financial future too. Nick, what is what are the ramifications of this for the Brooklyn Nets organization? Yeah, I think, you know, it was already pretty unlikely that, you know, Dinwiddie would be back. Now it's even more unlikely. Um, obviously, the Nets aren't going to give him a ton of money. They're not going to overpay. You know, maybe if his market is a little bit dry, they could maybe swoop in and get something. Uh, I think a sign-and-trade is possible. You know, given some of the dynamics, it could be a little difficult at times. So it's not like the Nets have a ton of options in a sign-and-trade. Spencer still has to agree to it. It has to benefit the other team as well. So... Um, you know, it looks less likely that Spencer's going to be back and less likely that he'll probably be involved in a sign and trade depending on what it is. Because if it's about getting the bag, the sign and trade doesn't really make sense because he's probably going to go to a team with cap space. True. I, I, look, I think that if we're talking about the, the Lakers, you know, the sign and trade, you know, is it a, you know, Kuzma? There was obviously a, a trade that was probably, I think, discussed in the past. And Kyle Kuzma was a Brooklyn in at first, <laughs> um, you know, obviously in the DNA. And also, Russell. why help the Lakers? Like, that's that's a big bump for them. It is, it is. But if the Nets are to lose Dinwiddie at all, you know, you want to get something in return, you know, in a similar sort of vein to, you know, when the D'Angelo Russell trade for the sign and trade for Kevin Durant. You know, I think a lot of people do forget that that was a sign and trade. Yeah. And Katie was like, ah, no, nah, you got to throw him in a first or something or, or something there because I, I don't like that being me for D'Angelo Russell because, you know, I'm Kevin Durant and, you know, that's D'Lo. And we love D'Lo, but, you know, he's not in the same uh, stratosphere as, as, as Mr. Slim Reaper. But, yeah, uh, look, I think that the... You, even the the Los Angeles Clippers could use a guy like him, Nick. And you know, there's a Marcus Morris. You know, I, obviously he provides a lot of value to what the Clippers are doing right now. But I think that there are probably a lot of things, a lot of phone calls happening behind the scenes. I think that this is where you know the, the market is obviously still going to be open for him. You know, there's going to be plenty of destinations. I think for Spencer Dinwiddie. You know, would you rather, as I guess, uh, putting your NBA lens on Nick and trying to remain objective? You know. Uh, and the guy who wants also to receive the bag is Dennis Schroeder. Would you prefer to have Schroeder or Dinwiddie on your team, knowing, I guess, their histories and knowing what Schroeder did in the playoffs wasn't necessarily great? Dinwiddie obviously coming off a partially torn ACL, though that is now 100% healthy from what we have been hearing. Where would you sway towards if you are a GM and you're building a team? 
Yeah, if you could guarantee me Spencer's going to be Spencer who was healthy, then yeah, I'm taking Spence because I think you look at it from a couple dynamics. You know, you could argue that Schroeder might be a better offensive player and maybe you could maybe argue maybe he's a better overall player if you really wanted to. But I think Dinwiddie is more adaptable, is more willing to play different roles, can create a more consistent uh, flow for your team and is willing to come off the bench and do what the team needs to win. Where Dennis Schroeder has literally come out and said that he doesn't want to come off the bench where Spencer is like, okay, I'll do whatever we need to do to win the game. And I think as, you know, a team builder, that's something you look at. You want a team player and good guys in your locker room. And I think Dinwiddie could be that guy. And also, I always prefer players with a little bit more size. And I think that's where Dinwiddie is a little bit more valuable as well. Yeah, look, I, apart from the fact that we... But the health is a big question mark, to be honest. Oh, yeah, it's, it's probably the only question mark around this yeah. entire discussion. Because, you know, Spencer Dinwiddie, I think, has proven he's a much, he's a better all-round basketballer. Um, he also doesn't call Kyrie Irving names or besmirches him or chooses not to wear his shoes anymore. And, you know, we know what happened there when Dennis Schroeder started wearing a different pair of sneakers. But, yeah, in, in saying that and getting back to the point, Nick, Spencer Dimity provides a team more versatility, you know, whether that's offensively, defensively. You could see him on a on a, 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 numeral, a, a numerable amount of organizations, whether that's in a rebuilding team like Orlando and, you know, they want Markel Fultz behind the scenes to sort of provide a bit of a tandem there, or whether it's in, in Dallas and provide a secondary ball handler to Luka Doncic as well. Um, there's going to be plenty of guys who will be clamoring for the services of Spencer Dinwiddie. Dennis Schroeder probably should have signed that contract, that four-year $80 million contract yeah. that was on the table for him because, look, I don't, I wouldn't give him that money, um, and I don't know if other teams will. Spencer Dinwiddie, I don't think he's going to get that much. I think he'll probably get into the 15 to $18 million range. Um, but again, you know, the, the all it takes is one team to be like, ah, oh, we need Spencer Dimwitty or, or we need, you know, there's a some sort of battle for for, for him and, and for his contract that to really increase the market for him individually. So, look, I'm hoping for whether he is in a Brooklyn net that he does get the bag, Nick, because he deserves it. Given, you know, what he's done for this Nets organization in the past, um, he and, and how he's rebuilt his own stature, I think he deserves an immense amount of credit from going from a castaway in Detroit and Chicago um, to being, you know, criticized by, I can't remember, maybe we did when we were talking about the Yogi Pharrell and Spencer Dinwiddie debate. Um, a lot of people were like, well, why don't we keep... I was team Spencer in that one. I, I never really like Yogi's game because he's an undersized guard. Not not all of us are as smart as you, Nick. I probably <laughs> was on the, the, the stupid department that was, you know, team Yogi, but... Look, at the end of the day, Spencer Dimwitty is going to be earning uh, a decent amount of cash. He deserves the bag, um, whether it's in Brooklyn, whether it's elsewhere. Um, Spencer's going to be earning his payday. And I guess it, it it leads us nicely to our final conversation, Nick. And we had one of our great listeners uh, on Twitter, at ManoloBK88, ask us, which active NBA player that used to be on the Nets do you miss the most? At the JMAJVC, at Nick underscore Faye. Nick, what was your response to the great Manolo? Yeah, I think uh, for me, probably it's Karis LeVert. You know, you could I could have heard an argument for Brooke Lopez if he didn't kill the Nets in Game 7. Tough <laughs> luck, man. We didn't, well, I mean, we didn't. He hit a couple threes, too. I mean, I think he was yeah. three for four from three in that. Like, he made some tough shots. I mean, come on, Brooke. Like, where was that in Game 7 against the Bulls? But um... hey, he hit the BK logo as well. Why wasn't everyone getting up in arms like all the douchebags in Boston were in freaking 
Glenn Big Baby No Ankles Davis. Yeah. Sorry for interrupting. And no, you're a- good, yo. Cankles Davis, you know, we don't we don't need that. Cankles, um, <laughs> um no, I think Karras would be the guy. Obviously, we kind of watched him grow and kind of hit new peaks consistently. But then second would probably be Jared Allen just because we literally saw him become a, a scrawny little kid uh, to, you know, become a man in the NBA and become a really, really good center. So those two guys, I think, are pretty obvious misses right there. For me, uh, look, obviously. Quincy if you Acey? Take- yeah. <laughs> look, hey, I was a, I was a big A3 fan. You know, I'm not going to lie. I, I miss Damari Carroll a little bit as well. Yeah. I don't think he's active right now. I don't think Quincy Ace is active right now. Yeah. And, and there, are, there are some names that I could throw out there as well, Nick. You know, Jeremy Lin. I was, a, I was, I was in on the Lin Saturday. Uh, you know, a, a Brolo is the reason why I became a Brooklyn Nets fan. You know, when I started following the Brooklyn Nets, it was Brook Lopez, and um, I still and that do. Was it. <laughs> and, and that was basically it, exactly. And I still do love Brolo uh, in, in saying that as well. And you know, a part of me really hates the Milwaukee Bucks and, and everything that they are, but you know, I can't help but just love Brolo. And um, if he, if anyone, I will just discount everything and just follow just the Brook Lopez content and on his Instagram and whatever other platforms. <laughs> yeah, exactly. In, in saying that, you know, it's Jared Allen for me. That was my response um, in terms of just the the nature that his his demeanor. You know, he and what he sort of you know, I guess sort of harking back to Spencer Dinwiddie. You know, what he grew from being, you know, a late first-round pick, a guy who's like, oh, does he like basketball? Does he even have a passion for the game? And it's just like, a guy can have interest outside of basketball, guys. A guy can like computers. A guy can like different things that aren't necessarily... He doesn't have to eat. He doesn't have to be Kobe Bryant and eat, sleep, breathe, and shit basketball to be an awesome player. And even that's what Jared goes Allen... to baseball games. <laughs> exactly, man. Like, come on. Give the guys a break. Uh, and, and Jared Allen's going to get himself some sort of bag, whether it's in Cleveland or elsewhere, too. Um, so, yeah, Jared Allen, number one for me, Nick, because, you know, just... He's his kind nature, just the he just seems to be just so goddamn wholesome and obviously, you know, the the philanthropic efforts that he did off the court when, you know, teaching kids math during like the Thanksgiving period and such yep. uh, made my heart flutter time and time again. Karis Levert obviously did plenty of stuff as well with the uh, organization and beyond. Uh, I've got to give a mini shout out as well. I know Manolo uh, will like this one as well to D'Angelo Russell. Just the 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 level of credibility that D'Lo provided the Brooklyn Nets, I think, goes a, a little bit under the wayside. You know, obviously, D'Lo, it may have been peak D'Lo. We may have already seen peak D'Lo into what he was in Brooklyn, you know, getting the all-star appearance. A lot of people don't really like that he is an all-star, but... He, he was an all-star I, that season. I think that's what people forget is like he was really, really good that year. It's just that he's not really, really good right now. I, I don't no. have the reasoning, but... No, no, that's it. And look, some of it's probably health. Some of it is just situation. He did say, you know, that the the nature of the organization, sort of like a college-like atmosphere, sort of benefited him. He liked those sort of routines, whereas... You know, you, you go to different organizations, and I don't think Golden State was good for him. I, I think that the way that he was treated there was was pretty goddamn poor from the from the top down, Steve Kerr and beyond. I think the teammates were fine, but you know, the guys beyond the organization, I I wasn't a big fan of. And the season but, was a shit show for them too, so that doesn't help anything. Exactly, exactly. But yeah, D'Lo, I've I've got my D'Lo uh, t-shirt jersey as well. Uh, the dude is exude swag he's just cool as hell um all those guys are gonna have a special place in my heart nick and you know indiana cleveland minnesota they're all teams that i'm watching a little bit more of because of those guys
Yeah, hundred percent. And obviously, you want to see those guys excel and what they did for the Nets. And there, you know, there is always a possibility of some of them coming back. You know, they're all kind of young in their career, so I wouldn't rule it out as a possibility down the line. But a lot of great players, honestly. I think I've enjoyed almost every single player that's played for the Nets. I can't really think of many guys that really pissed me off too much. Yeah, I mean, we talk about, you know, maybe, I don't know, Kenneth Freed. I'm not... <laughs> yeah, um, he barely played, so he, he yeah, didn't so, log enough minutes for me to get mad. <laughs> no, no, that's it. And, and I think that that's one thing. We, we talk about Brooklyn Nets culture and Kevin Durant talking about that now, but, you know, these guys set us a culture as well. You know, yeah. as much as it was, I think Sean Marks and Kenny Atkinson got a, a lot of credit, and, you know, for, for due course as well, they did deserve it, but ultimately it is the players that set the culture, Nick. And, and I think that for those young guys to turn the Nets into at least a relevant organization to this underdog team. You know, the Nets wouldn't be where they are right now without those three guys, and as well yeah. as the guys behind the scenes as well. You know, Damari Carroll. You know, I do miss a little bit of Jared Dudley as well, not going yeah. to lie. Um, and, and look, we can all look back and say that Jared Dudley was right about Ben Simmons, and we should have listened yeah. to it. The Night King himself, you know, he's got those arms out, talking about the fact that, you know, yeah, he's a good player. And I just love the way that Jared Dudley speaks about the game and, you know, wouldn't mind him. He speaks, like, very, like, hyper. Like, he was calm at the same time. It's hard to explain. Yeah, I think he's just he's just really passionate about basketball and uh, he's going to make a, a great talking head. You know, I think, you know, him, Richard Jefferson, he's going to provide a similar sort of style. So, um, shout out to Duds. Hopefully, you know, if the Lakers were to win a chip, it'd be the only reason I would like it. It was because of Jared Dudley's on the team. But maybe we can get him behind the scenes as a 15th man if, you know, Reggie Perry goes elsewhere. or Assistant coach. Or as a I'm pretty sure he played with Steve Nash, if I'm not mistaken. I'm not 100% sure on that, though. I know he played in Phoenix. I want to say he played with Jason Kidd. Wouldn't wouldn't hate that whatsoever, Nick. Um, big fan of Jared Dudley uh, for what he's done for the Brooklyn Nets as well. But fun discussion. And if you guys want to listen, if you guys have any questions and comments, um, feel free to just add us on Twitter. We'll, we'll, we'll make sure to do it on the show. And uh, we'll be doing some mailbags uh, upcoming in the offseason. We're doing plenty of those too. So love this question. And, and we love any of the interaction from you guys that are listening at home. Yeah, I mean, if you guys want to send us some trade proposals as well in the next coming days, you know, we'll be doing a trade podcast very soon and we'll probably be doing some more further down the offseason. So like Jack said, shoot us with some apps on Twitter. More than happy to answer any topics or questions. But Jack, always a pleasure. Big thanks, everybody, for listening.